Hello, I'm Marshall. And I'm Stephen. Welcome to Emissaries of Profits, the bi-weekly show where we discuss the political economy of the Federation outpost in the Bajoran sector of the Alpha Quadrant. That's right, we are talking about Deep Space Nine episode by episode, sometimes two by two, occasionally three by three. But not this time. This time it's just one. This is this is this one is of the just one unusual-ish uh, in recent times. On this show, we discuss how decisions get made, how opportunities are distributed, conflicts resolved, and who gets screwed over. Spoilers, it's usually the Bajorans. Today we are discussing Life Support, uh, the 13th episode of Season 3, uh, original air date, the 31st of January, 1995. Uh, this is also a hallmark for us as we are recording together, in person, outside, at a safe distance. We also both have one vaccine dose, which, according to our premier, is enough. <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. Yeah, so well, I'm going to start by, I guess, summarizing this episode, because I literally just watched it not, not moments ago. <clears throat> and I watched it mon- months ago. So the episode opens on uh, Jake Sisko having a meet-cute with a girl named Leanne, uh, who she's, Leanne. she's back... Leanne, she's back from Bajor, and she only wears red for whatever reason, because <laughs> every scene you see her in, she's wearing a different dress, but it's red. <laughs> um, so she's a communist, I presume. She knows <laughs> what she likes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, find a palette, stick with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But anyway, yeah, so this has a, has a lovely meet cute, and they're going to go on a go on a date. Um, so Jake's like, well, I was going to play uh, Magic the Gathering with Nock, but... Uh, I could blow it off for you. <laughs> a charming moment. But it all ends so fast when out of the security office bursts O'Brien, Odo, and nameless constable as <laughs> they run down the corridor. Move! Move! They shout and they run to an airlock. and They're met by the doctor. It's like, there's casualties on board and the, the airlock opens up and who comes out but some Bajorans, uh, Kai Wynn, and... A grievously wounded Vedic Barile, whose bare chest is covered with some sort of red goop. So you know it's bad. <laughs> Was that not blood? <laughs> no, it wasn't blood. It's like a burn. It's like a it's like a his chest is just really pink and veiny. Like, <laughs> right, it's like fair. A, yeah. Um <laughs> pink and veiny. Yeah. You know. Uh, anyway, so ultimately what we find is that uh, you know, Kai Wynn and Vedic Barile were traveling to the station to have secret talks with a Cardassian legate to sort out a potential I don't know they call it a they call it a peace treaty with Cardassia but there's like hostility there's been a cessation of hostilities so uh, it's not clear I I guess for me it sounds more to me like what they're trying to do is they're trying to normalize relations um because I think they've peace has been established right Bashor and Cardassia are not currently fighting so they, they keep talking about the peace treaty and the importance of peace but and admit, I think normalizing relations is a really important part of moving towards a lasting peace. But you know, I don't. I feel like the the terms are imprecise. Yeah, I mean, context. I guess like you know, you could have a an official peace treaty that says like, yes, we left Bajor after you forced us out, but now we are signing a peace treaty, and it will have some terms. Yeah, normalize relations, whatever. It's, yeah. it's a 
the document is a treaty uh, on peace. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so it's brokered by these. It's brokered largely by Burial. Um I was looking at like examples of like clergy and politics. And aside from like um like actual like papal diplomacy, <laughs> papal legates and you know things like that where the where the Vatican um had brokered concordance and and such like between Spain and Portugal. I couldn't really find much by the way of like religious people doing diplomacy in the 20th century not in the um, 20th century it was it was you but, know, between like the 10th and 17th it would have been common yeah yeah there was there was a lot of there's a lot of clergy people in politics and i think we're going to get to that later but i couldn't really find an example of them like doing this particular kind of work it's a big problem though because Burial was the architect of these talks and kai win feels woefully unprepared uh, in the sense that she's like doesn't even know what has gone on in previous negotiations like she doesn't know or understand the conditions even of the armistice um, which seems like a thing you could read but <laughs> there's no time <laughs> but, you expect Kaiwin to yeah. read well, Ky- maybe Kaiwin is a leader in the Bush in the George W. Bush tradition <laughs> oh, prefers, uh, prefers her briefings to be read to her but but she can totally read, you guys. Um, <laughs> I'm sure George George W. Bush could read, just not well. <laughs> but anyway, yes. So, so anyway. the look you gave me, Vedic Baral comes in. He's on the table. Bashir is in his surgical gown, with, which looks very funny uh, <laughs> it's a very it's a very weird hat he's got on but anyway he's there and he's like fighting to keep he's like i'm not gonna let you die damn it he's like got his tools and he's they're, they're working on him they're working on him giving him cc's of things and a cortical stimulation and all all the things uh, but you know what god damn it they lose him they lost him uh, so you know bashir goes and gives the gives the news to Kira and he comes back and to do the autopsy. He's like, well, let's find out what happened in his brain. Let's find out why he died. I need answers. So he slaps the autopsy helmet on <laughs> as you do. And uh, he's like scanning him and he's like, oh my God, his neurons are still firing. So he's what any good Frankenstein doctor does. He zaps, zappos him with a lot of electricity. <laughs> I can't remember. Did he switch helmets back again? Did he go back to he, the operating he took, helmet? He took off, yeah, he took off the autopsy helmet and he, and he put him back in the operating halo, and then strapped a taped a taped a thing to his head, and just gave him. Then he's like, "More voltage!" And the nurse is like, "But doctor, the da- his tissues will be damaged. More voltage!" <laughs> and I guess it's the right amount of voltage because it works. Um, and Baral comes back, but he's uh, he's he's alive. He survived. He has a bald spot. He has a thing. On, he has a cat thing on the top of his head for the whole episode. I'm not sure if it's an implant or just a bandage. Um, but you know, he's there, uh, but he's very weak and he can't attend the negotiations. Meanwhile, Kai Win is you know meeting with the legate and he's like, "Well, you know, I think we should do this." And just, Kai Win's just getting led around by the nose, right? Like she's she puts something forward. He's like, "I don't want to talk about that. Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about you giving us back all our shit." <laughs> 
All right, cool. Good meeting. I'm not going to say what it is, but I just want you to agree in principle, and then I'll tell you what I want later after you've agreed. Cool? And she's like, yeah, fine. <laughs> Which is not a good way to negotiate. Um, yeah. Here's yeah. a list of all the belongings <laughs> that you said you would return to yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't worry about the particulars, but we'll just get you to agree to everything now because it's easier. Uh Guy okay, was like, "That seems fine. Uh, I'll think about it." She says, "That's a thing that I would make people do." So, <laughs> yeah, it's not going well. So she goes to Brawl's bed, sick bed, and it's like, "You gotta help me. I'm getting killed out there." And uh, and he's like, "I too weak, sickness, brain zappoed." Uh, so Bashir's like, "Hey, uh, I've got a drug, and uh, it might make you completely better, or it could slowly." systematically shut down your organs and Boral uh, likes them odds so he just, he's like give me the drug and when when he says slowly systematically he means like in the course of three days rapidly <laughs> rapidly <laughs> shut down his organs yeah um and so so I, I won't get ahead of the plot but essentially the rest of the rest of like Bashir's arc in this episode is him wrestling with head that he slowly is replacing Burrell with synthetic components gradually like just slowly replacing all of his organs until by the end of the episode it's like he's dead but he could maybe bring Burrell back if he replaced the last part of his brain it's a ship of Theseus uh, thing <laughs> at what point is he still is he no longer Burrell and he won't trade out the last part of Burrell's brain he's um, more machine than man twisted and, and evil, evil. That's how we describe Burial regularly. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, he anyway. Um, but yes, that's so. That's essentially his arc, and then Kira has to deal with losing him. But um, before that, you know, Kai Win has to like stand on her own two feet and like deal with the deal with the legate, and uh, you know, and she she digs deep, and uh, you know, we kind of realize that that uh, Win kind of wanted him along largely to blame him. Uh, she kind of didn't necessarily want this to be successful um but in the end she kind of pulls she like she realizes it's the right thing to do and she 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 bucks up and they get their peace deal and so at the end they're celebrating and uh dax comes out to Bashir and it's like what's the matter it's like well i've i've made i've I've become a frankenstein doctor you see dax and it's like yeah don't chin up (laughs) Uh, but of course yes then they get the call and and uh Burial's dead, and you know, and it's they consider his last wishes that he doesn't want to be more machine than man, <laughs> or all machine <laughs> and no man. Uh, <laughs> so it's very sad, and uh, but it, hey, it's important. Peace, peace is attained, whatever that means. <laughs> very nebulous terms. Uh, interesting note. I think somebody's going to come back. One of the negotiating points that they're talking about, that Burial and Win are talking about, is the return of the orbs from Cardassia. And uh, Wynn's like, listen, we got to make getting the orbs back, like, number one. Nothing happens without the orbs. And Burrell's like, no, 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 you can't do that. You got you to gotta get them to the table. You got to roll over and eat their shit, and then they'll respect you enough to give you what you want later. <laughs> I mean, it was working for him so far. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, again, this is this again drives the show's like theory of political change. Like, what do you do when you're negotiating with an imperialist superpower? Well, you just lay down and die, and eventually they'll respect you enough to give you what you want, uh, which is not actually how these things work. Um, I don't know when was the last time you negotiated with an imperialist power. You know, I uh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> 
the B plot is a little bit fuzzy, but it's um it's a it's a Nog yeah. Jake B plot, right? Nog Jake double date. Yeah, so so Jake, as I mentioned, Leanne, right. Thank you for reminding me because yeah, so Jake goes to Nog and says, Hey Nog, I got a hot date. I'm not gonna play I forget the name of the game, but Magic the Gathering. Domjot? Is it Domjot? I maybe not. I thought so, but anyway, I thought that's what they always play. Yeah, probably. But anyway, uh, I'm not gonna play Space Magic the Gathering with you. I'm gonna go on this date on this hot date and nog's like great tell her to bring a friend <laughs> so nog makes it a double date jake reluctantly acquiesces and they go on this double date and nog is awful <laughs> they go to quark's bar right well they they make initial their initial the initial plan they make is to meet at the klingon restaurant but in the end yes the double date does occur at quark's bar which i mean like Maybe he's got some weird license or something where, like, you know, he's a... It's an all-ages venue until <laughs> right. 9 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems strange to have minors going to Quark's, which is not a family-friendly place. It's a it's a den of iniquity and sin. It's only a den of iniquity and sin after 9. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course. It's like Before that, the, the hollow suites are only used for whitewater rafting. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's like that, it's that bar in Arrested Development, Swallows. It's like uh, they go to the seedy underbelly of of, uh, <laughs> of Reno, and it's and it's this un, uh, family dining experience by day and pansexual bazaar at night. <laughs> and dog, and, and we find out a little bit about uh, Ferengi, Ferengi, Ferengi uh, <laughs> sexual norms, uh, to which Nog is like, Nog is like, all continuously telling the women to shut up. And tell him, he's like, no, no, no. They they sit there and watch us talk about the people we're going to kill. <laughs> That's how you woo a woman. And he just and the the women are very, the girls. I mean, they're all they're all minors, but the the girls are very upset about this, and they they they're having none of it. I mean, Jake is also pretty upset. Yeah. Jake is very upset, also. Uh, but like, at, at, come on, bro, you're cock blocking me. At, at a certain point, Leanne is like, oh, he's he's joking about being a misogynist. So they they all laugh. They all have a hearty belly laugh um like oh you know haha very funny funny uh funny jerk ferengi impersonation uh and then when it's all over like ah they do the you know the puff of the sigh and then nog just says she is so stupid <laughs> uh and then the girls leave <laughs> I, doesn't nog also demand that she chew his food for him she asks him to cut his food and then at the end Right, yeah. right, and right. And so then, right. then this is a huge rift. They're not talking to each other. Cisco goes, Cisco brings, you know, um, Ben brings it up with Jake. They're both less surnamed Cisco, so that's not instructive. <laughs> uh, ben, ben brings up Jake. I hear you're not talking to Nog anymore. What happened? And uh, he's like, you know, Dad, maybe you're right. Maybe Ferengi are just no good. <laughs> um, to which Cisco says, I was wrong. I was wrong. You should, you should make it. You should. You should learn to respect your friend and maybe you guys, you know, should talk it out. So Jake goes to Odo and says, Odo, I want you to arrest me. Act break. <laughs> uh, and subsequently, you know, Odo arranges throwing Nog and Jake into this cell together. Nog almost immediately figures out, wait, I'm not actually arrested. 
I, my, my uncle's not here yelling at me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I did this to create a contrivancy where we're trapped in a, confined in a small space and have to talk. Um, and they realize they're just not going to go on double dates together anymore. And, you know, and Nog is like, he's like, why were you being the way you are? And it's like, I was really trying to tone down my Ferengi norms because in our culture, uh, the men ask the women to chew their food for them, uh, <laughs> which is... I mean, depriving yourself of a whole wonderful part of eating, which is chewing your food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You're just robbing yourself at that point. Um, <laughs> you don't know what you're missing. They're doing a favor for the women, you <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, that's right. They get to chew the food, enjoy all of the texture and flavor, none of the calories. <laughs> I, I hope they get their own food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, sure. Yeah, they would get some food. Yeah, so you realize this Nog is like, so Jake's like, tone it down, man. And Nog's like, I was toning it down, way down. <laughs> and they realize there's more that unites them than, than divides them. Yeah, so I mean, that, I think that, that covers the, like the, the, the main points on the episode. It's... I did want to say one last thing. Oh, yeah. The important thing is no matter what your culture, men can bond. About <laughs> men can right. bond regardless of how badly they treat women. It's yes. the message. The homosocial bond is inviolate. <laughs> and it's truly the true international. Look, maybe you treat, you know, uh, at least half of the population like complete and utter shit. But you don't treat me that way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we can still be friends. Yeah. So I think it's trying to make some point about tolerance, but it's <laughs> it's confusing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the the this is a common thing where they're like, oh, well, you know, like it's a difference of culture, and you just have to sort of accept it, and that's how their culture is, uh, and uh, we find it abhorrent because we treat women well. That's a shrug. Um, <laughs> I think if you ask many women, you'll find that uh, they are not treated all that well. And and then they're like, so you just have to kind of, you know, if if your friend is a good person anyway, even if he treats, you know, all women like garbage, if other than that he's a good person, you can still be friends with him. <laughs> you know, you just have to kind of look past his culture uh, to, like, his true values that he demonstrates uh, on a regular basis. But there's a point that I think you need to, get like... Hey, fellas. <laughs> there are some things that you don't need to tolerate or that you should not tolerate. Uh, and saying, well, in my culture, we just treat women like garbage and slaves. That's not something that you should just be able to look past. That is a very telling feature and value about a person. <laughs> Even if it is a cultural thing, they've now been exposed to other cultures and other ideas, and you've told them it's wrong, and they still persist in it. There are certain things that you can say that might be a part of your culture, but it is not acceptable here, and it is not acceptable to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm not going to, <laughs> not going to engage in it this way, you know, um... I'm not going to arrange double dates for you. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop hanging out with you entirely. Yeah, I'm not going because... to create contrivances for you to, for you to say hurtful things to women. Yeah. 
but you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm also going to go on a limb and I'm going to say there's no culture that's just like, that is like, I mean, like that's not, I don't think that's a cultural thing. I think that's a, that's a asshole thing. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Like the, the right. Ferengi culture is completely yeah. Um, yeah. not representative of yeah. anything. Yeah. Cause I mean, not Nog, uh, apparently Ferengi culture is, I mean, Ferengi culture is essentially like pickup artists. <laughs> pick up artists and Ponzi schemes. Yeah, pick up artists and rise and grind types from the internet if they were a planet. <laughs> and that's not a foreign culture. That is a contingent of our own culture. Again, kind of going back to uh, every other culture in Deep Space Nine is a reflection of some aspect of American culture. The Ferengis are intentionally meant to be an aspect of, of American culture. And they, they kind of play it off as being like, oh, we've progressed beyond that. Oh, this was back in time. This was the 30s or the 50s or the the, the 2020s. <laughs> so it's supposed to be like we've, we've gotten past that. Uh, you know, we, we're not driven by greed and we're not driven by um, you know, hatred of women. Uh, and, and, and yet... Yeah, and yet there's yeah there's abundant yeah it's it's America's misogyny and greed and it's lust and greed uh, if you want to be moralizing about it reflected back in the the quote unquote funhouse mirrors that makes your ears really big. <laughs> <laughs> moving moving on to like you know the the negotiations uh, and whatnot, I did think it was interesting they buy into this great man theory. Um, only only Barail can do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like Vedic Barail, he's such a good man. Even after he sacrificed his reputation and his position, he's still just such a good man and so dedicated to Bejor that he alone, I guess, you know, um, by himself reached out to Cardassia and by himself... Committed treason. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. It's like, this is actually a treasonous activity. He, with, without any aid or without any team of, you know, people writing policy papers for him or helping him to review Cardassian proposals, just stayed up late at night reading through them, finding all the flaws and finding, you know, where they could get together and have common ground and uh, negotiating with the Cardassians who have spent their entire lives and their careers, like, negotiating with hostile parties. And, and you know that they've got, like, the entire intelligence apparatus backing them up. Uh, but, but he alone can solve this problem because he's such a good guy. He's going to Jared Kushner it up. He's just going to go in there, deal of the century, Abraham Accords. You know, he's going to, countries that have been have sworn enemies, not recognizing each other for most, for, you know, 70 years, are going to hug because he's that good. I mean, they probably just smoked some drugs. <laughs> it's respective swapping <laughs> hormones. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that—that's just—that's just not how it works. Exactly. Right. Like you don't have one guy who's like, I think we should have peace with our enemies over there, mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm going to make that happen. It's like, no, you might be the lead negotiator, but you probably have to have approval from at least like the leader of your government or the leader of your church, like. Mm -hmm. One of your one of your leaders in in that planet probably should know what you're doing. Yeah, and that these are you're you're creating very complicated legal documents, and so you know there's like a lot of people putting in a lot of time and a lot of work. You know, like just imagine if something went wrong 
while he's doing these things, right? Mm-hmm. That he he makes a promise that actually Bejor can't or shouldn't keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now the Cardassians are like, well, no, you're going back on your word? Well, you know, I was never actually licensed to be here in the first place. So technically, all of this was a huge waste of your time. <laughs> this was technically meaningless. <laughs> I have no authority or, you know, binding anything here. Uh, but it was fun. Gosh, we learned so much, you guys. <laughs> and I think, remember, we learned to see each other as people. And that's what really matters. Right, yeah, like, <laughs> Bejor could be at serious risk if if anything went at all sideways on this, right? And it has huge potential to go pear-shaped. At best, he has no authority. And at worst, he, in fact, is a plenipotentiary, which is a fancy word for able to make deals. <laughs> and... Uh, it could be really bad. <laughs> yeah, he could, he could make a bad deal that all of a sudden, like, nobody back on Bejor wants to support, but they're bound to it legally? This very great man idea that, like, oh, well, you know, even if he was supported by an entire team of people, and even if there was a dedicated resources put toward this, it was actually him that made it all happen. Uh, so we only need to talk about him because he's the only one that matters. And it's a very risky and dangerous perspective, yeah. right? For exactly the reasons this show shows, which is what happens if he falls down some stairs or gets blasted <laughs> with some space radiation. Or, 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 you know, like his reputation that he sacrificed, you, you know, like he's he's known as being a traitor to Bejorans, yeah. and now he's the one that has to sell this peace treaty to the Bejorans? He's not credible to. He's not credible for the deal to even be accepted, right? Or proffered, yeah. Uh, and so, even if he had been working on this before his nego- his his reputation was shot, uh, the negotiations are all completely put at risk because the credibility that he holds with Bajorans was ruined, uh, rightly or wrongly. You know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But but you don't want to set up like a single great man because then when something goes wrong there's nothing to back it up. You can't say, well, you know, like, sure, he was one part of it. But in fact, this was a team of many, many, many Bejorans uh, in our entire foreign relations department, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. career Bejorans who've been doing this. Long-time civil servants. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, at you want to be able to have people... master's degrees who speak <laughs> multiple languages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, when when we read about history and we're like, oh, all of this stuff that was done by this one king. And you're like, well, actually, if he hadn't been there, the kingdom mostly would have kept on going just as it did. Right? Like, everyday stuff was done by anybody but him. We are those things done in our name, Marshall. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I should be more aware of this. The sovereign is the body politic, and the body politic <laughs> is unto the sovereign. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth is still <laughs> taking credit for all of my work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's right. When, when you as a civil servant act. Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> no, they don't know which government. It's fine. Right. We could work in any of the Commonwealth countries. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Could be Zimbabwe for all we know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Zimbabwe is not a constitutional monarchy. I believe they're they're a republic. Not familiar with their governing system. The other thing I thought that was interesting was 
Well, obviously, like the, the treatment of Burial by the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> this was a doctor who was not, I think, doing well by his patient. He spends all this time, like, concerned about, like, Burial's humanity, but never actually, like, speaks to him about it or has a conversation. So we're, we're slowly replacing all of your body parts. Uh, what do you want to do when we get to the last part? You know? <laughs> Kai Wynn would say, replace it. It's fine. He told me the, how important this is. Just go ahead and do it. Yeah, there is a medical ethics discussion, and they definitely are trying to like make this, like, evoke this Mary Shelley comparison that he's like a Dr. Frankenstein, and the Burial is his monster. At one point, they start replacing Burial's brain, and he comes to him and he's like, Kira holds his hand. He's like, it's like a memory of holding a hand. Can you tell me about this part of the negotiation? Yes, you need to go to subsection A, article 4. <laughs> he's become too robotic. He's lost what made him barile. He couldn't even carry on the negotiations now if he wanted to. I don't think that uh, at any time... Well, one, like, he died, and then he brought him back. Which, you know, is probably questionable, particularly given uh, the religious nature uh, of, of Vedic barile, right? Like... There's, there was a whole thing about, like, when I die, I go to the prophets uh, and, you know, I get my just rewards and, and whatnot. There's probably something questionable about allowing him to die and then hauling him back again. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a, a, a religious Bejoran. <laughs> you don't observe, you know, you don't personally follow the ways of the prophets. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but I suspect that there's teachings about just such an occasion. Probably. And I suspect that it's more on the side of less intervention than more. Probably. And that's fine. Right? Like, when it's time, when, when you come to die, uh, you kind of get, you should have the privilege of, of deciding how much effort is put into keeping you alive or not within reasonable limits. Yeah. The only, I think it becomes sticky with children, but. As as Canada well knows, yes, <laughs> but uh, yes, but certainly it's true, and and certainly we have. Bashir spends the first part of the episode having no medical ethics. Oh, what? I'll just rev- I'll just shock him back to life. Oh, I'll offer you this drug that's incredibly risky and untested. Uh, <laughs> After shocking him back to life, wasn't the prognosis pretty good? That like over time, well, if he just waited, if he didn't give him the drug, if they didn't do the drug to try and rush him back to being better. Then he could have been like it was. It was touch and go. Like they wanted to put him in stasis until they could figure out more. Yeah, Maybe but like, but the, the the overall prognosis was like, yeah, you're probably going to yeah, pull. through. Eventually, he's going to pull through. But he's like, but I can't miss the negotiations. <gasps> yeah, and they're like, well, okay, well then let's uh, let's try. Fifty fifty, you're going to die. Yeah, and then at the end of it, he's so concerned. Like, but what about medical ethics? I will consult his girlfriend about it. <laughs> And again, and, and, and for large parts of this episode, Burial is fairly conscious. Yeah. And yet he never Doesn't speaks to Doesn't go him to Burial and be like, okay, so look, I'm going to replace your kidneys, all four of them. Uh, <laughs> are you okay with that? No, no question at all. Just like, we're going to make that happen. Could you, could you imagine being Burial and Bashir just comes in, like pushes you down on the table, slaps a, like a, what, not an anti-stimulant, what are those called? Um, uh, an anesthetic. Like slaps an anesthetic on you and you're just out. You wake up later with like a sore back. Oh, my, I got a robot kidney? <laughs> That's not normally how this story goes. Uh. 
doctor, what happened? Ah, your kidneys were no good, so we uh, shipped them out. No problem, though. I would have asked you about it, but I didn't feel like it. Yeah. yeah. At one point in the episode, Bashir gives, like, pontificates about, like, you know, when I was in medical school, one of my professors said, we don't fully understand the brain. It's something about it that gives us a spark. So before we intervene in the brain, we'll just make sure that that spark is not being put out. But, you know, this is a society where, like, there are people who they recognize as people with positronic brains, <laughs> right? Like, like it is the society data exists Those also in. have sparks. Yeah, yeah. So, and you consider those to be sparky. So, you know, so well, what they're talking about is giving Beryl a positronic brain. So it's like, well, you clearly... Or at least part of a positronic brain. No, they're going to, it's, th- this is the final debate. Are they going to take out the last part of his biological brain and replace it with a positronic one. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah. I didn't think that that was the case, only because no one has been able to recreate a positronic brain that can hold an entire person and there's this data. And there's a plot hole, and maybe there's a plot hole there. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was working, because obviously when they had done the partial positronic brain, it had was having it was starting to show issues. So in some respects, like as much as his like, weird moral hand-wringing aside, there appeared to be some merit to his concern. Like in the 20th century is really a time where there's some very prominent religious figures in politics, um, not doing the kind of work we're talking about, but doing something rather different. And we'll get to that because, like, when you think about it, like, who are the famous like holy men? It's like Gandhi, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was like a pastor. <laughs> Marshall Shrugging. Maybe you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. Anyway, eh, interesting guy. <laughs> he was a dissenting. He was a dissenting Christian in Nazi Germany. Christians love him. <laughs> they, they, they love to focus on the one guy. <laughs> <laughs> but remember that one guy? Yeah, yeah, sure. The whole church went along with it, and he was completely ousted and, and persecuted and ultimately killed. Um, and the rest of the church said nothing but one. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was also kicked out of the United States because he was in the U.S., and he didn't like how Americans were treating black people, so they asked him to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a very abused legacy. Anyway, uh, and, you, and, you know, and you have um, the Dalai Lama, that's very prominent, and you also have, he's prominent. No, I, yeah, I, I, for sure, he's prominent. He's very but, different. Uh, yeah, I would, I would um, class him uh, more along with the Pope. Sure, yeah. Right, that he's also the head of yeah. a state. Well, and, and John Paul II is also very, very prominent. But yes, John Paul II is, is hugely hands-on in politics at this time. Yeah, yeah. and the other ones I want to say, and the other one I want to say is, uh, and I think this is the one that's really driving a lot of this episode, Archbishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa, who is an Anglican, a black Anglican bishop, and he's very, um, and this, particularly in this, because we're talking about like, you know, the end of apartheid, period is happening right at this time in 1993 kind of Nelson Mandela's in office and uh, and Archbishop Tutu is very prominent in in conducting truth and reconciliation councils in South Africa um, wherein kind of like they they're trying to figure out a way to address the white settler population in South Africa and his whole thing is like we need to we need to be honest but we also can't just punish everyone who did something wrong. Uh, there, you know, um, for so for good or for ill, goes around largely absolving people. <laughs> um, but I, I think he's. I, but but none of these people are brokering deals. <laughs> no, no, not um, not directly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe John Paul II. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but you know, but I think one of the things that the you know, like the Gandhi and I think Archbishop Tutu uh, are big in is they're really big in in resistance struggles, right against against colonizers. Well, and I was just thinking of um, of like Iran. Yeah, Ayatollah Khamenei. Yeah, because they were also Khamenei. Um, <laughs> y- y- you know, like it, it may have gone not uh, the best way that it could have. Uh, in, uh, the way that Iran is sort of now, um, but they were definitely like fighting against um, the Shah was not a good. Yeah, uh, Reza, like, there was a monarchy. Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi was not a good man. <laughs> um, so there was there was a lot of turmoil in in, in Iran as well. But but it, it meant that the the um, Ayatollah was able to sort of like fill a vacuum of. Yeah, of authority. Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, the the, the office of the Wa'al-Kafi is like uh, you know is is uh, stems out of in part a response to U.S. imperialism. Yeah, in the region, right? Uh, you know, love it or hate it, the Islamic Revolution was the one that got the goods on getting the U.S. out of Iran, um, and kept them out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, they they are often yes uh, involved in like um, fomenting dissent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they're they're yeah, they're and they're very active and they have their purview and they have the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, which whose job it is to. Oh, I meant like uh, religious leaders in general. Oh, yeah, like in, in the twentieth century, okay. not uh, just. We're not in just Iran. talking about the the Quds Force. Okay, that's probably um, good. I shouldn't talk too much about the Quds Force. <laughs> no, in general, like because like you brought up um, um, the the big one, uh, Gandhi. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the big Guna Gandhi. <laughs> right, be the change. Uh, (laughs) The most misunderstood... He was uh, was the change. (laughs) Yeah, maybe the most misunderstood... uh, God damn you. (laughs) That helicopter. Yeah, so Gandhi was like, the be the change, right? He was was the change. uh, And that got rid of the British. Um, He alone. (laughs) Gandhi, personally. Great man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, Gandhi Gandhi has a very uh, interesting, very interesting figure. And I think he's he's widely touted and little understood. He's widely touted and little listened to, I guess. Because um, he, he said a lot of things. And most of those people saying with Be the Change bumper stickers or whatever. Um, that's the only thing that they know. That's the only thing they know. And they would be horrified and or perplexed. <laughs> very, many, very uncomfortable <laughs> by many of the other things that he said. And, and believed, you know, and not say, you know... Um, but yeah, it's uh, interesting. I think Gandhi Gandhi was a great and very important figure. Absolutely, a, a, a lot of them were. All all of these people that you've listed um, were hugely influential, uh, and and often a, a force for very good uh, and effective change in each of their areas of purview. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so I think this is like this is the legacy that I think that DS Nine is trying to hitch. I mean, this episode tries to do too many goddamn things. So they're trying to like, be. Are you doing? Are you doing a postmodern Prometheus, or are you doing the like? Uh, oh, you know what happens? I completely forgot about this. In uh, 80, 86, 87, the Pope gets sh- Pope John Paul II gets shot. Oh yeah, by, yeah, failed assassination. Um, the failed assassination attempt of Pope John Paul II by that gray wolf. Yeah, uh, that, that yeah, and they try to blame it because yeah, it's a. Uh, 
Turkish fascists try and kill the Pope. Um, and then they try to blame it on the USSR, even to the point where like Tom Clancy writes a book about it. And then people are like, see? Tom <laughs> no, Tom Clancy, Tom wrote, Clancy a, wrote a book a on it. A fictional version of events. Yeah, but he wouldn't have, he would have based that fictional version <laughs> on true facts. It's Tom Clancy. Come on. Yeah. P.S. My Tom Clancy blog part two is coming out this week. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's exactly about this thing that he does. But yeah, so I think, and that might also be, be a bit of it too, I think is like the, the, the Pope John Paul was shot. Sure. Put his negotiations on hold for a little while. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. As you go into the next the next episode, uh, the first thing they're talking about is the peace tree. <laughs> so this is going to come back. Woo! Uh, <laughs> it is, I don't know what it is. <laughs> right? like, it's a treaty yeah. that assures peace. Right. Okay. It's not that complex a document. I, I mean, except that it is. Yeah. It's an incredibly complex document for one very simple idea. Peace. I, the big thing that I got out of this episode, like I watched it and I was like, this is all ridiculous. Uh, more so than a lot of Deep Space Nine. Like Deep Space Nine, as it progresses, uh, I, I was like more and more, I was like, oh, wow, these are good. Like these are these are good episodes, right? And this one is not. It's like it's, this was a this should have been like a season 1, season 2 episode like yeah. it was just it was messy, it was ham-fisted yeah. uh and it was wrong in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. Here's seven themes, themes and a beloved character dies. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to we're going to kill off Vedic Barile because well we need to. We need Barile dead so that we can have the the Odo Kira love interest uh happen. Do do a two-parter. Have Brown have Burrell in a coma, and then you have the political intrigue, and he dies at the end of that one with the peace treaty being signed. And then Bashir brings him back, and, and then in the next part yeah, is, yeah, your cold open is the could, fight your, for your, his life. Your, um, your, your conclusion to the first one is Bashir <gasps> looking and going, neurons are firing <gasps> to yeah. be continued. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then, and then part two, you have to deal with zombie Burrell. Yeah. yeah. But, that would have been much cleaner. Yeah. Um, and what's going to happen on Jake and Nog's double date? <laughs> like, like it's so tone deaf, right? Oh my god, <laughs> ridiculous! Just Those stakes are exactly the same. <laughs> I need to know what happens with Jake. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, th- but but it it is very. I think it's very revealing about. Uh, what the writers were thinking and 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 how American discourse had had progressed to this point of like one only one man can make this peace treaty happen, and that man, Jared Kushner, was a boy <laughs> <laughs> right well, and that's why Jared Kushner thought he could do this, right, and why people wrote about it and were like, yeah, it's good that Jared Kushner is going to go in and do yeah. this. Yeah, the president's son-in-law is just going to go in there and make a bunch of handshake deals. Right. And there will be peace in the Middle East at Because last. he's just a good, smart dude. Yeah. Uh, and that's all you've ever needed is, like, one outsider to go in and solve the problem. Nothing a clever white man can't solve. That's, that is a thing I've heard before. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> uh, not a thing I believe. That's also a thing that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Uh, but but it's very illustrative. So this episode, uh, while being not good and wrong, is very illustrative about many people's beliefs uh, that are not good and wrong. I, I do just want to say that The Art of the Deal was published in 1987. Oh, my God. 
You had to bring and, it and up. And there's some you? very art of the deal. <laughs> no, we're we're done. We're done. I, I, do, <laughs> I do want to do our epic. I think if we ever do a Patreon or camaraderie or whatever, it's definitely going to be like our 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 exhaustive breakdown of the art of the deal is going to be in oh there. My God. So if you want that, let us know. <laughs> If you want to get a hold of us, uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at AssetDroid, uh, or you can send us an email, uh, info at androidsandassets.ca uh, is the best way to get a hold of us. You can also uh, follow or like our page on Facebook. That's a relatively recent addition, uh, but is also an effective way to keep up to date with episodes. We will post them there as they come out, uh, generally on a weekly basis. We've been doing pretty good. Yeah, no, we've been we've been keeping up on it. <sighs> Looking for that uh, Hugo nomination. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> it's never too early to plant that seed. So next time you're uh, a lone clergyman, <laughs> clandestinely arranging a peace treaty between two warring, recently warring civilizations, uh, you know, set aside your holy books, set aside, set aside the the greatest hit lectures and 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 homiletics of your of your venerated forebears, and put us on. <laughs> we might help you find a new uh, liturgical and uh, metaphysical insight into your predicament. <laughs>